Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Good morning. Hey, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to have you all here today as we continue in our series dedicated to Jonah. And whatever kind of brought you here today, um, gosh, you know, whether you're a skeptic or you're a saint, uh, it's good to have you here. And there's all kinds here. So I hope and I pray that through the worship and through God's word today, um, God can meet you in a special way, uh, especially as we get further into Jonah, which is just this fascinating, like, puzzling, um, sometimes doesn't make any sense story of how those that we might consider being so absent, so far from the privilege of God's favor and love and grace, um, actually it's for them as much as it is for us. And so, uh, so we're going to continue in, in Jonah today, and, and um, uh, we have looked at the first two chapters already, and, and part of what we did through those sermons is we kind of got behind the smoke screen a little bit of, of Jonah. Uh, by that I mean um, when you talk about, what's Jonah about? And you say, well, what do you remember from Jonah? A lot of people are like, the fish. And it's like, mm, okay, yeah, it's a character. To progresses the story, right? But then we kind of get into, well, what kind of fish was it? Did it happen? Or was it, was it allegorical and all of that? And, and you know, good questions, but um, it's not about the fish. It's not about the fish. Um, in fact, it's not even about Jonah. It's about God. And this is really the gospel according to Jonah, uh, as we've been talking about throughout this series. And so, so we're going to get into uh, to chapter 3 uh, today as we get you know, a little bit further behind that smoke screen to see what's really going on and where our attention ought to be. So let's, uh, let's pick up where we left off on Jonah 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Uh, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, Ninevites believed God. Uh, a, f uh, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king of, and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may yet relent with compassion and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. 
So a friend of mine, a uh, friend of mine went to school in Jerusalem at a place called uh, Hebrew University. Went to, um, did spend some time there for his undergrad. And um, there's a, a professor there that kind of comes along with a story that has just kind of ingrained in, in the culture of, of that school, as, as he explains to me. Uh, it's a, a professor that, whose name, he's, he's since passed away, his name was David Flusser. Uh, and Flusser was uh, a, a very talented academic. You can still read his books today, certainly. Uh, uh, smart dude to say the least, uh, but there was one thing that, that kind of bothered some people about him because he was a Jewish scholar who himself was Jewish, but he wrote and taught very favorably about Jesus. And uh, so some other, uh, at, at like other universities, other scholars kind of looked at him, uh, well, weren't a fan, weren't a fan of him, uh, mostly because of the way that he portrayed Jesus as a, a Jew him, himself. And so there's this story that's just worked into to kind of the consciousness of that of that school, or at least at the time that that my uh, that my friend was there, which was after he had passed away, um, it's where one of his students, Fluster's students, went to another university to study under another very talented professor. And uh, the the story from the this is all from the Hebrew University side, so it, it might be a little skewed. But but in that story, this was a very talented uh, student, and this very smart student goes and studies under this other professor, and and apparently he did a very good job, but he still received barely a passing grade from this professor, and the thought was that it was probably because he was Flusser's student, and this was a way to kind of get back at him. Well, a few years later, that professor had a student come and study under Flusser. And so at the, and, and according to the story, he was not a very good student. Again, I don't know if that's true, kind of getting it from one side, but the point is, he came and studied under Flusser. And at the end of the semester, uh, regardless of how good the student was, uh, he received an A. And the teaching assistant for Flusser was like, what are you, like, don't give him an A. Don't you remember what this professor did to your student years before? And, and Flusser's response is still quoted there. He says, give him an A. This I have learned from Jesus. The treatment of our enemies. In fact, even the use of the word enemy to describe another person in our lives uh, is something that was close to the heart of God and was especially prominent throughout the teachings of Jesus. Um, it's also one of those things that's very easy to talk about. It's easy to quote scripture about. It's easy to preach about, but it's very challenging to actually uh, live, right? when it comes down to it. Because, because Jesus says, you know, love your enemies. Now that's, everyone can quote that. Even if you're not a Christian, you know that's in there, you know, somewhere. Love your enemies. Well, what about when you have an enemy? Are you going to be able to love in that case? You, you know, turn the other cheek. There's another one. Turn the other cheek. Yeah, we all know it. Can you do it when you get hit, right? Pray for your enemies, some of us are like, yeah, I pray for my enemies. I pray they get hit by a car, right? Like, like that's how we pray. But it's like, no, like, yes, we, we know that's there. Most of you probably know that's there. Talk to somebody who's not even a Christian. They probably know it's there. It's this general teaching. But when it comes down to it and you're in the moment and you're emotionally attached to, to what's happening and it's happening to you, can you really do it? And that's, that's the challenge. Can you do it? So here's what I want you to do as we start and we kind of get into Jonah a little, as we plunge a little deeper into Jonah here. This is, I want you to think about this. What is the nicest thing you can do 
to the worst person you know. If you can think of that and then go do it, honestly, you can just head out now if you want, because that's the whole message. If you understand that, you can bring yourself to that. That's what this is all about. What is the nicest thing you can do to the worst person you know? Even if you can just put yourself in that position, then you now know what it's like for, for Jonah to go all the way to Nineveh and go into that city and proclaim to them that they are to repent, to bring a, uh, or be overthrown, to, to, to bring a message of grace on behalf of God. So now that Jonah's finally in Nineveh, let's just do some brief kind of cliff notes about, about Nineveh here. So uh, in chapter four, which we'll get to next week, it says that Nineveh had a population of 120,000. Uh, now, according to archaeological record, that's probably quite accurate. It was a big city. It was also described as a great city uh, in Jonah, which again seems to be consistent with, with the archaeological record and, and the historic record. Uh, it was a great city. It was the, the uh, capital, at least for a time, of the Syrian Empire, which was a great empire in and of itself. Uh, though by great, we shouldn't mean like um, kind and, and, and nice, because the Assyrians were anything but. Uh, my social studies teacher in high school taught me an easy way to remember what's important to know about the Assyrians, because if you read especially the Old Testament, you're going to come across the Assyrians quite often. Um, the Assyrians kicked the first three letters of their name, okay? That's how you know what the Assyrians are. Some of you, you're working on it, uh, you, but whatever. Some of you, I did, yeah, anyway. Um, they're, they're tough, okay? They were not diplomats. They came in and they wreaked havoc. They were, they were, they were aggressive. They were violent, okay? They, they eventually amassed a kingdom that stretched from modern-day Egypt all the way to modern-day Iraq, okay? And they didn't do it through deals. They did it through violence and aggression. So this is, a, in fact, um, around 700 BC or so, there's, uh, they even take Jerusalem. The Assyrians uh, take Jerusalem. So again, uh, not a nice people. So when you hear Assyrians, think not nice. And, uh, and Jonah describes the city, says it's a big city, says it takes three days to go through it. And so he reluctantly begins to go through the city and proclaim this message that God has told him uh, to do. And he calls them, <laughs> basically calls them to repent with the same, like the same passion and vigor that you would read an eye chart with. Uh, it just, he just comes in and what he says in, he, in, in his language, what he says is actually only five words. Uh, and translated to English, it's this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So let's talk about this. In fact, we're going to settle mostly in, in just this, this verse today, just this message that Jonah brings and what Jonah thinks he's saying and what God is intending to say uh, through this line that God has, has put on his heart. So when you think about, when you think about this and you think about that word overthrown, uh, chances are what comes to your mind is some sort of like, if you say that someone or something was overthrown, it's probably like this forceful uh, uh, relinquishing of, of power, right? Like a government or a, a, um, a politician, somebody, somebody is, is overthrown. It's not like their choice, right? It was brought with, with force, okay? And, and if you're thinking that as you read it, if you're implying that on the verse, uh, you're, you're not wrong. That's certainly an appropriate way to do it. Um, so, so when we read it, it could say this. It could say this, that, that 40 more days in Nineveh will be destroyed, 
okay? That's how I think tet, we tend to kind of, we tend to read it in our mind and what we mean. And again, that is true. That is the consequence of what will happen if they do not respond to God's message through Jonah. But that's not all that it means because the word that's translated overthrown, which can mean destroyed, also means repent. So 40 more days in Nineveh will be repentant. That's equally true. And in fact, according to the story, that's what actually happens. 40 more days in Nineveh will be repentant. So if you get this, then the play that, that, that really God, I, I, in my mind, I think Jonah's kind of oblivious to what's going on here, but, but certainly to God kind of understanding what's happening here. If you understand this, then you understand the tension that exists in the book of Jonah because God hopes Nineveh will be overthrown by repentance and Jonah hopes Nineveh will be overthrown by destruction. In fact, I want you to just, just keep looking at this or, or that while I read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You have, heard what it, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? In other words, what faith does it take to do what everybody else is doing? Uh, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? How are you going to be the light of the world if you're just like the rest of the world? And so as you think about this tension that exists here, and honestly the tension that also is, is very easy to find in our own lives, what do you hope and pray will happen to your enemies? What do you hope and pray will happen to the school bully, right? What do you hope and pray will happen to the person that you don't like or that doesn't like you because of what you believe? What do you hope and pray is going to happen to another country? What do you hope and pray is going to happen to somebody with a different faith than you? Um, when, when bad things happen to bad people, do you celebrate their destruction or do you hope for a change in heart and, and hope for another kind of overthrowing to happen in that person's life. I wonder, does what we hope, does what you hope will happen uh, 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 align with what God hopes is going to happen in a person's life, in, 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 in the people's lives around you that are honestly the hardest to love? Is what you hope will happen consistent and the same as what God hopes will happen? Because the reality of Jonah's situation is that Nineveh is important to God, even if it's not important to Jonah. And the reality of, of your life and my life, all of our lives, is that that person that is hardest to love in your life is important to God, even if they're, they're not important to you. If you understand this, then, like I said, you understand the tension that exists in Jonah. And, and it's a tension that, that intentionally we are brought into. If you're feeling that tension right now, good, right? That's, that's called conviction. That's called challenge. And that's a good thing that God can do in your life. But we have to get there. 
there was this ancient, um, ancient worldview, which calling it ancient it actually is kind of silly because it's still alive and well in, in our world today. Uh, but, um, but basically this, this, this worldview says that only punishment can cleanse sin. Or if you're not religious, you could say that only punishment uh, can make wrong things right or can bring about uh, uh, justice or make up for wrongdoing, okay? Now this is what Jonah thinks. This is how he views the world. He says, okay, they're evil, so they should be overthrown by judgment, that's what makes sense to him. But when we wish destruction upon another person, we're just reinforcing this ancient worldview that God consistently opposes and Jesus consistently opposes in the New Testament. But Jesus says that there's, there's, a whole, there's, another, there's another way to go about this, of cleansing sin, not by destruction, but by forgiveness. And so by necessity, every person is, is really brought into this story. You may not be able to fully relate to Jonah being swallowed by a whale. You might be not be able to fully put, your, put your, your feet in the shoes of someone like Jonah who, who runs away and tries to go the other direction, you know, 2,000 miles and get away from God's call. Um, but this, this really is, this kind of forces us into the story if we've not been there already because every person alive has had or will have some kind of overthrowing event in their life. The question is, how will you be overthrown? Will your life be overthrown by repentance or destruction? Will your life be, be overthrown by grace or by judgment? Will it be overthrown by punishment or by forgiveness? The author of Romans puts it this way. He says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6 is kind of like the New Testament retelling of, of uh, God's message to Nineveh. He says that an overthrowing is coming, and the question is, how will you be overthrown? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how. How will you be overthrown? Will you remain stuck in your ways and, and reap the consequences of your sin, or, or will you receive the gift of grace and forgiveness by laying down your life through repentance, by allowing that overthrowing to happen through repentance. And, and, and if you do make a faith commitment to Jesus and as your Lord and Savior, receive that grace and, and you fully appreciate what God has, has done for you, uh, God will place within you a view of others, a, a view that he has of others that every person, even your worst enemy imaginable, he will give you his eyes to see, his heart to love, because you will know now, as someone who has been overthrown by the, the repentance in your own heart, you will know what it means to be an enemy of God who is now friend of God, and your perspective of other people is going to change because you have been called friend. There is just no, there's, there's no place in the Christian life for uh, wishing destruction upon another person, believer or not. Now, that is not to say that people will not face God's discipline, that justice is somehow negated by believing such things. But when we are transformed by grace, we see that the purpose of God's discipline is to bring us back, not pay us back. And th there's a world of difference between discipline that's intended to bring you back, to heal you, 
and discipline that's intended to pay you back, to, to hurt you, right? Some of you, you know what that's like. You grew up in a home where, where, where you saw the difference of this. Uh, discipline was not to, to bring you back, not to help you. It was to, to pay you back. As some of you, maybe you need to even think about your own discipline of your kids, especially when you're all kind of charged up, and I've been there. Discipline, God's discipline, is intended to bring us back, not to pay us back. And to hope for destruction for another person is to hope that God will pay them back, but will bring you back. To, to hope for the destruction in, in another person, regardless of who they are, it doesn't even matter who they are. To hope for the destruction in another person is to hope, is to pray that God would exercise a double standard where to you he will offer his forgiveness and his love and his grace and, 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 and will bring you back. But to another person, you're asking him, just ditch them. Just, just they, 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 they've, they've lived their life. They, they've made their bed. Make them, make them lie in it, right? It's to hope for a double standard. Well, grace is extended to you. But destruction is extended to another person, that God would make you a friend, but keep someone else out as an enemy. Now, I hope that you can, can see, as we kind of finish this up here, that faith in Christ really is a form of, of overthrowing for all of us. Um, when you make a faith commitment to Christ, you are, you are overthrowing yourself and you are overthrowing your own will in, in your heart and, and, and replacing that, allowing a coup within your own heart where uh, 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 you have at the center of your life installing Jesus where it used to be yourself. Repentance is a, is a, is a takeover in which the kingdom of, of the world and the values of the world are overthrown by the values of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And, and the story of Jonah, it, may, it might be 3,000 years old, it might have predated Jesus by so far, but, but, but through it, we see this unbelievable truth that God would care enough to overthrow any person who comes to him through forgiveness. Jonah is a foreshadowing of this radical love that would be made incarnate in Christ and, and, and would dwell among us and teach us firsthand as we, as, as, as he would seek the most distant person uh, uh, imaginable from him and try to bring them back just as the shepherd leaves the 99 to go seek out that one that's wandering alone in Jonah. Again, this is the gospel of Jonah. And so if you're hearing this, and this is, this is how we'll finish here. We'll pray in just a minute. But if you're, if you're hearing this and you feel that call within yourself to be overthrown by that grace, uh, to, to be overthrown by God, to, to let the things that have remained at the center, even your own will, to be overthrown by the grace of God, I would encourage you just in a moment to, to pray with me because I want to pray. I want to pray with you because this is, again, every person is, is going to be overthrown. All of us, every single one of us will be overthrown. And it, always, it breaks my heart when I talk with people about, about this, you know, using different language, different phrasing, but what have you, talking about this. And, and, it, and it always kind of breaks my heart when, when to talk with someone, it's like, oh, that, that pride kind of gets in the way. You know, that, that maybe that call of God is there, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about being overthrown. Um, in a lot of ways, it's simple. Because the way that we acknowledge that overthrowing is that we go to God in, in prayer. 
that we, and, and prayer, if it, you know, maybe for some of you, I don't know, I don't know what you know, but, but prayer is just talking with God. It's not like, I mean, if you talk to God with these and thous, God bless you. Keep doing it. Don't make me change the way you do it. But if what you're comfortable with, it is just a conversation with, yeah, the God who created you and, and, and calls you to, to redemption, uh, but it is just a conversation with the one who, who through faith and by his grace will, will call you friend. And so the next step is, is simple. It's to pray, to acknowledge those things that are stirring within your heart and to ask God to overthrow that, that part of you and replace what is overthrown with his, with his grace. But it's not easy because that's the thing about being overthrown. It's not easy. Being overthrown is, uh, it's humbling to acknowledge you've gone this way for so long and say, no, no, I, no, every step I took in that way, every step was just taking me further from the truth. That's really challenging. But if you kind of, in the quietness of your own heart, if you kind of feel that, that you've never prayed that prayer, that you've never, you've never acknowledged in prayer, God, you are my Lord and Savior. I believe what you have done in Christ. I believe that your death was sufficient to forgive me of my sins, and I have life with you. If you've never prayed that, I want to pray with you, and I encourage you when I do to pray with me. And in fact, next week, we're going we're gonna to celebrate a, a baptism, so we're, we're going to be all set up already. And if that's something, if this is the first time and you've never been baptized in your life and taken that step to physically mark the, the milestone of an overthrown heart by grace, please, please, please stop up, talk to me after service, email me, call me, what have you. Because we're going to celebrate that milestone with another person already and we would love to celebrate it with you as well and celebrate what God is doing in your life. So please join me in prayer. God, as, as, we, as we bow our heads, that in and of itself is a sign of our own, uh, of our own humility. God, we, we almost instinctually bow our heads as we come to you in prayer because we acknowledge that you are God and we are not. And so, Jesus, I, I pray that in the midst of this humility, God, that you would greet us not with shame or humiliation, but as the father did who, that, that welcomes his wayward son, his prodigal son. God, welcome us as we with humility look to be overthrown by your grace and really on a daily basis to be overthrown by your grace. And I, I pray for and, and I pray with any person here who's never made that, that prayer in their life, that they've never, that they can imagine, they've never consciously decided, yes, I believe. So Jesus, in this quiet space within our own hearts, God, I acknowledge that you are the Lord and Savior. I, I believe that you died for my sins and because you died in my place, I have a place with you. I have been made right by God through the Son. And Jesus, I don't know everything. Nobody does. But I'm ready for that journey. And so Jesus, meet us in this place.
as we, whether we have made this faith commitment before or we're making it for the first time, God, God, welcome us by your spirit into that grace. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.